chapter number 13. And I'll be reading from the New, uh, New Living Translation. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is neither irritable and it keeps no record of when it has been wronged. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Love will last forever, but prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will all disappear. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the power, the grace, Father, of the love that you've given to us. Lord, we're praying today that you would help us to cultivate that same love that you have for us toward one another. Father, we thank you this morning, God, that your spirit is moving and you are working. And Father, you are transforming us even as I speak. Use my mind, use my heart, use my lips I'm just here as a vessel because, God, you have set me, Lord, in the house to do, Father God, what only you can do through me. I am totally and completely relying on you, and so are we all, because we know you have a word for us that will help us and will transform us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're um, in our second installment of our series, Live Well, today. Uh, if you're looking in your programs or in your bulletin, you will see that our title today is Keys to Healthy Relationships. Keys to Healthy Relationships. As we said last week, the purpose of this series is to make sure that as we enter into uh, this holiday season and all the festive activities, that we make sure that we have a great attitude. Amen. Uh, that we live well, that we don't allow ourselves to get overstressed, overworked, and get all uh, flabbergasted like many of our counterparts in the world today. So how many know that Jesus wants us to have a good life? He said, that I came that you might have life, you might have it abundantly. That means to the full and overflowing. Everybody say overflowing. overflowing. So your good life is directly tied to our ability to understand and to uh, make sure that the Word of God is applicable to every aspect of our lives. And, and so I want to talk about relationships. And I understand something that as a law enforcement officer, many of you know I've been in law enforcement now for some 23 years, and I only have like a year and some change left. Somebody ought to say amen to that. I can get out of that. Amen. I only have a little bit of time left, and I've been doing that for some 23 years. And without question, this is a time of year where there have been so many uh, relational problems. I've seen people where, for most folks, this time of year represents a time of joy, of family, coming together, happiness. But for a lot of people, it's not that way. In fact, suicides tend to go up this time of year. Domestic disputes. Everybody ever heard of those? It's one of the number one reasons that cops are killed in the line of duty, if you didn't know that, is through domestic disputes. And when you think that this time of year for many of us is a time with great joy, great laughter, great happiness, for some it is not that. For some people, 
When they think about Christmas, when they think about Thanksgiving, it's a time of difficulty. Perhaps because you have experienced some pain in a relationship that was never resolved. Perhaps somebody offended you or hurt you, abused you, whether physically or sexually, whatever the case might be, that that has brought about a lot of stress in your life this time of year. And so I understand that relationships is a very, very complex and difficult thing. I do understand that. And I know that with many of us coming from different backgrounds and experiencing different things, that it makes it that much more difficult. Some of us have been trained wrong in relationships. You know what I mean when I say trained wrong? You grew up in a situation where you saw how people handle conflict. And the way they handled conflict was that they yelled and screamed at one another. The way that they dealt with somebody who talked about them was they got them back. If you talk about me, I'll get you back. If you mess with me, I will get you back. See, the world's way of looking at relationships is totally and vastly different than the kingdom of God. So there's a kingdom way in which we are to relate to one another. So the principles that I'm going to share with you this morning are universal. What I mean is it's past church. Everybody say past church. It's not just for church. It also, it, these principles applies to every aspect of your life as we talk about this issue of relationships. Jesus, uh, you know, the Sermon on the Mount was the greatest sermon ever preached. Amen? When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes, let me tell you something. The people stood and they were amazed. The Bible says that they marveled. They said, where in the world did this guy come from with this message? Jesus brought in, he, he introduced such a radical shift in how we do relationships and how we relate to each other. He said things like, Love your enemy. Do good to those who hurt you. Bless those that curse you. He said, be merciful because your heavenly father is merciful. He said, you, you, you are blessed when you walk with a pure heart and a humble mind when everything else in society, society tells us different. Jesus says, blessed are the humble, the meek. Most people think, if I'm too humble, I'll be taken advantage of. How many you know what I'm talking about? But Jesus said, you're blessed. So the kingdom way of doing relationship is vastly different than that of the world. And I believe that if Satan had his own beatitudes, how many know that Satan has some beatitudes? And they ain't the same as the kingdom of God. For example, I jot some things down just to get you thinking. If Satan was to write his sermon, his sermon on the mount, he would say, blessed are the troublemakers, for they shall be called my children. He would say, blessed are the complainers, I'm all ears for them. Blessed are those who gossip, for they shall cause strife and division, that pleases me. Blessed those who are easily offended, for they shall soon get angry and quit. Blessed is he who professes to love God, but hates his brother and sister, for they shall be with me forever. That's the kingdom of darkness. And Satan uses our inability to relate to one, to, to one another to rip us apart, to tear us down, to destroy families, to destroy everything around you. 
And so we got to come back to the word of God. What does the word of God say about relationships? And, and I know right off the bat, when I share these things, it's going to, re- some of you, your flesh is going to start acting up. Because many of us have come too comfortable, even as Christians, hear me. We become too comfortable saying, well, that's just the way that I am. The way that you are need to change if it's not the way God is. You following me? It is not a trophy to say just just the way I am. You need to change if it's not consistent with who God is. God's number one purpose and agenda is to conform us to the image of Christ, right? So he wants us, our personality, the way we talk, the way we relate, he wants us to be like him. If you be like him, that's your measure of maturity. And so I got nine keys to building a healthy relationship. Nine keys. You can write these down. I may ask you and give you a test afterwards. No, I'm just kidding. Number one, blessed are, Jesus said, the peacemakers. Be a peacemaker is the first key to a healthy relationship. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. How many know that God is a God of peace? you got to understand it. Jesus said that my peace I give to you, not like the world give it. I give you peace that the world cannot take away. But how many know if you don't have that peace on the inside of you, it's very difficult to be peaceful with anybody else? See, a peacemaker are people that are always looking to squash conflict. Come on. Peacemakers are people that walk into a room and they figure out a way to bring things together. Peacemakers are those who have a position of, I don't want to fight. And for some of us, we've grown up in environments that all I know how to do is what? (laughs) But Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus says, you ought to think different. A peacemaker means becoming an initiator in reconciling conflict between us and others. Let me ask you this question. If you were at work and somebody saw you come around the corner and they had to give an opinion of you, could they say concerning you, that person is a peacemaker or are they a troublemaker? You know, every time there's, there's fire, there's always problems. There's wood, there's always problems. You ever notice that there's some people that every time you turn around, there's a fire. And you got to get the water hose. And every time the fire is burning, you got to, it's the same. How I many you know, it's, it's this thing of, of peace has eluded them. But the kingdom of God, here's how we're to live. We're to walk into situations. And we're to say, you know what? <laughs> I understand how you feel, but, but how can we make this thing work? How many know that Jesus was a peacemaker? He spoke truth, but he was a peacemaker. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. This is a, a principle of the kingdom. In Romans 12, 18, he says, if it is possible, watch this. Everybody say possible. Everybody say that nice and loud, possible. Now, now, you know, the Bible also says that all things are possible to him who what? Believes. He says now in Romans 12, 18, write this down. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, <laughs> live peaceably with all men. Now, I know some would look at that and say, well, you know what that means, Pastor? That means that, that some people you can't be peaceful with, so, so you just need to just, just go at it. No, he says as much as it depends on who? You. So that means that no matter how mad or no matter how angry you get, it's not going to transform how I respond back to you. As much as it relies on you, you be at peace. You be a peacemaker. 
because being a peacemaker pleases God. Amen? Amen. Number two, we're going to have healthy relationships. We've got to look at ourselves, examine your own heart. There's a verse in Jeremiah 17, 9 that frightens me, to be quite honest with you, because it tells me something about my own heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this. You can write it down. The heart is deceitful above all things. Watch this. And desperately wicked. Who can know it? Think about that for a moment. He says our heart is deceitful above not some things. He says what? All things. He says our, he said our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. How many of you know that there's a reason why we need to examine ourselves. Because I've met people that, and I've dealt with people in my line of work, that they can, they can convince themselves that they're right when they're flat wrong. A good liar, or a person who have a deceitful heart, they will convince themselves that they're right. How many know that, listen, how many know that even we can do that? Because our hearts are desperately wicked. We can say, we can stand there, we can, we can convince ourselves, you know when you really want to be right? You can convince yourself that you're right. You can talk to yourself and you think, you know why? Because our hearts, our hearts are desperately wicked. So you know what that tells me? What's the remedy for that? I got to look at myself and be honest. I got to look at myself and say, you know what? God, there are some things in me. God, I think I'm right. I believe I'm right. But, Lord, there may be a possibility that I'm missing something. Please, Holy Spirit, show me. How many know that we have much more healthy relationships if we look at ourselves? In fact, uh, Psalm 139, David said this, Psalm 139, 23. He says, search me. David said, search me, oh, God, and know my heart. He said, know me and try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me into the way of everlasting. So what David was simply saying, and he was praying that prayer because he knew that in his own heart he couldn't trust himself. How many know that's why we need each other? How many know everybody got blind spots? You ever been driving on 95 and you go to move over in another lane and there's another car there and they blow abruptly at you like, what are you doing, fool? And you're saying the whole time, I never saw it. How many know that we all have blind spots? We all have spots, blind spots, things that we think that we see and we don't really see. So we're going to have a healthy relationship. How many know that we must be humble? The Bible says, blessed are the humble. Blessed are the humble. It says over in the book of James that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the who? Humble. So a humble person is always asking themselves, Lord, please examine me. Husband and wives, this will do you a lot of good when you're having some conflict at home. And I know that most of the time everybody right. How many of you believe you're right most of the time? <laughs> we all believe that we're right, but how many know that there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the way of death? What I understand and what I know about myself is, and in most cases, I really do believe I'm right. And then a lot of time when I'm really honest and I ask God, God shows me something in my heart. Not one time have God never shown me something that I can do better. Even when I think I'm right. 
So we're going to have healthy relationships, even, even if you're on your high horse and you are convinced, I know. All right, how many, some, how many know sometimes it ain't about you knowing who's right? It's about reconciliation. Amen. Some folk will argue to their green, blue, purple, because I want to prove that I'm right. It ain't always about being right. It's about reconciliation. It's about humbling yourself and saying, you know what, for the better of this, isn't that what Jesus did for us? He took a major hit, didn't he? How many know Jesus was right? He was right. You better say he was right. He, he was right. There was no sin in him. And he took the hit. And you know what he did? He said this. On the cross, they had lied on him. How many of you ever been lied on? They spit on him. They beat him. They abused him. They did all these things. And you know what Jesus said on the cross? He said, Father, forgive him. They don't even know what they're doing. Forgive us. So we need to be people that examine our hearts. Learn to do that. Number three, we got to walk in love. Walk in love. I like this verse in Ephesians 5.2. It's a great verse. It says, and walk in love. <laughs> As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. See, walk in love means that we live there. That is not some sporadic thing that we love ever so often. But walking in love, he's saying that, here's what he's saying in that book of Ephesians, that Ephesians 5.2. He's saying that when we walk in love, it is a way of life. It's how we live. That when Judy come around the corner, I should be saying, here comes love. When Ashley breaks around the corner with her soup, I should say, here comes love. And she got some good soup, by the way. So we need to be people that walk in love. One of the things that my, my pastor who, who ordained me in the ministry, he said to me, Ron Johnson said to me one time, and some folks had really, had really hurt me really, really bad. And they had kind of brought me in a room. They kind of set me down. And they had just heralded her some things at me, said some things at me that, that were just totally misrepresentative and I just, and it was a very painful time, probably the most pain I ever felt in my life. And I, and I remember leaving that meeting and then I, I, I got on the phone, I ended up, I talked to my pastor and he says to me, and I was telling him how bad this hurt and how this was and he says to me, well you go there and you preach. I said, I can't go there Sunday, can't do it. Can't do it, can't do it. He says, no, he said, you go, gotta give you the grace. And he says, and you walk with a sweet spirit. I never forgot that. He said, you walk with a sweet spirit. In other words, take the edge off. You, what he was saying to me is what Jesus is calling us to. You walk in love. No matter how people treat you. How many know you can't control people? If you haven't figured it out yet, <laughs> let me help you. It don't work. God controls all things by the word of his power. I can control me. Everybody point to yourself and say me. me. So, we want to walk in love. I, I like how it says in our, in our verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is patient. Again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Love is patient. How many know love is patient? We got to be patient with each other. How many know there's a reason why we got to be patient? <laughs> love is patient and love is kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud, or it's not, and it's not rude. Love does not demand its own way for those who have to have your own way. He says, 
Love does not demand its own weight. Love is not irritable, and it keeps no record of when it has been wrong. And I mean, no, the love knows how to let things go. Come on, church. We got to learn how to just let some things go if we're going to walk in love. He said, it is, never, it is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Never loses faith. Is always hopeful. So love never quits. Love never, ever gives up. People who don't understand love, they quit very easily. They walk away. Because it's easier to walk away than to love. Much easier to walk away than to love. But love never gives up. Love is always hopeful and endures every circumstance. Which number are we? Number four? If we're going to have healthy relationships, we have to communicate in a way that we build up. Everybody say build up. Build up. Colossians 4, 6 says this. Let your speech always be with grace. Wait a minute. What does always mean? Hmm. Seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. I believe the scripture verse, I didn't have it in front of me, but I believe it's Proverbs 15, 1. Somebody can validate it for me earlier, but it said that a soft answer turns away wrath. Y'all know that verse in Proverbs? You know, whenever somebody want to fire off at you, learn how to shoot back a soft answer. You know, you can squash some stuff. But many of you have heard the saying that if you don't have anything good to say, what? Don't say anything at all. Now, he says, let your speech always be seasoned with grace. Grace means kindness, favor, goodness. So that means that when I speak, I need to ask myself the question, if what I'm going to say, is it going to be helpful or is it going to be harmful? Husband and wives, what you're about to say to your spouse, <laughs> is it going to be helpful or is it going to be harmful? See, here's another kingdom principle, that, that, that we are people that are always looking to build up, build up one another. So if I'm going to say something, it's not going to build you up. How do you know that's probably not a good thing to say? Even if I have to rebuke you, there's a way to rebuke and build people up. Come on, somebody. There's a way to discipline your kids and spank their butt, and they walk away saying, Daddy still loves me. Yeah. Come on. All the parents say they amen. <laughs> there's a way to do it, and we let people know that we love them. And, and, and listen, listen to me. And it's so easy to talk about people and to pull and extrapolate the negative. You know why? Because we're geared toward that. We're geared to look at the negative and put the big old, big, bright, yellow highlighter and highlight that. And the positive, we just spend less time talking about. But, but let, me, let me say this. As kingdom people, we need to look for the best in people. In fact, we need to thank the best in people. Even if they ain't what they are, we need to always think. Why? Because love is always hopeful. All right? And so as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to be a bridge builder. So the conversation that I have 
to you and about you if it's not going to build you up. I really don't need to be having that conversation. I come from a platform of love. Are you hearing me? We must come from a platform of love. How many know that love is the foundation to all healthy relationships? Love, 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 love covers a multitude of sins. Love, love, love. It says over in James chapter 3, but no one can tame. This is James 3, 8 and 9. You can just write it down. We don't have time to turn there. But listen to what it says. It says, but no man can tame the tongue. Now, he's not saying there that really he's not, if you look at the context of the verse, he's not saying that it's impossible. What he's saying is that, that man can control horses. We can control ships. We can control a lot of things, but why isn't it? Here's what James is saying. Why is it that we can't control this little thing? How many know this thing got power? The Bible says that the tongue can destroy life. How many know that lives and people have been destroyed because of what somebody said? That's why we need to be slow to pull the trigger on this thing. That's why the Bible says be quick to what? Listen and slow to what? Because usually we get in trouble when we speak. The Bible says in Proverbs, there's transgressions in a multitude of words. Here's another way of saying it. Be quiet. If I was in the ghetto, I would say, shut up. Be quiet. Talk less. Why? Because the tongue is deadly. And if we don't handle it right, people, if we don't handle our tongue right, we can do some serious damage. How many of you know that the devil is always going to try to provoke you. But you got to be wiser than that. You got to step out of that place. You know, the Bible talks about walking in love. You know, really mean walking in love really means walking in the spirit. Being prompted by being guided by the Holy Spirit. When we walk in the spirit, we're prompted by and we're guided by the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's, here's the place that we're in. We're in a constant place of love and it, it enables us to control our tongue. Because, again, many of us have been used to doing things a certain way. You say something, I, then we just go off. And before long, you're sitting back and you're saying to yourself, why did I say that? You ever like let go of a word and you saw it leave your mouth and you tried to get it back? And it's like slow motion. You're like, come back. Good word. Bye. I want to get back. But you know, when you let that thing go, goodbye. Because your words don't come back. That's why you got to use them carefully. Somebody say, ouch. Number five, we're going to we're moving along, right? We moved along pretty quickly here. Number five, avoid, if we're going to have healthy relationships, we've got to avoid accusations and stick to the facts. I tried to say this a few weeks ago, but I don't remember the TV show that used to always have the slogan, just the facts. Uh, somebody might have said that, but it was a, no, that wasn't it. It was some other show that said just the facts, just the facts. It was a detective show. But anyway. How many know the Bible, the Bible says this? Now hear me, hear me. This is very important. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Hear that. And the Bible also says in Revelation that Satan is accusing the brothers day and night. In other words, Satan is always 
hurling accusations. How many know that's what he did with Job? He tried to accuse Job. Job don't really love you. You take away his stuff, he ain't going to follow you. Take away, take away his health, Job will not worship you. Just do it. What, what Satan is trying to do, he's trying to, he's, he's these false accusations that are based on a false premise. The Bible says that he's a father of lies. He's a father of lies. This is Satan. He's a father of lies. And Jesus said that you will know the truth, and the truth will make you what? Not accusations make you free. Truth make you free. I've been, I've seen so many times over the years when I've been duped. When I sit down and I've talked to a person that I knew had did the crime. I'm reverting back to my, my detectives and my interrogation skills. Y'all wouldn't want me to interrogate you. You wouldn't like me. You know, I was, you know. But I kept it holy, but, you know. But there were times when I interrogated people, and I really believed that they did it because they walked like a duck, quacked like a duck. Like a duck, right? But here's what I learned over the years. Everything on the surface ain't always what it appears to be. There have been times when I thought hook, line, and sinker. Got them. Next thing I know, somebody else, the evidence shows up and that wasn't the guy. And here's what I learned. Just the facts. See, we're going to have relationships. How many know that we need to stick with the facts? We're going to have healthy relationships. We need to stop with the accusations. In our relationship, when we're relating to each other, husband and wife, when we relate to each other, we need to stop the accusations. We need to stop saying, making up. Listen, we need to stick with the facts. How many know the facts will help us? get to the truth. Jesus said, you know the truth, the truth makes us free. But if we can't ever get to the truth, we will never get what? Free. We can't get to the truth, we will never be free. So here's what I've learned. Just because it, got all, it looks like it, here's what I want you to do. Get into a habit of, well, you know what? I just need to verify. Trust but verify. Verify before you jump into something because you'll get yourself in a lot of trouble. And I can say that specifically for people in ministry. You can get yourself in a lot of trouble by looking at something and making assumptions without getting facts. Get the facts. Because there are people out there today that will slander you and say things. I mean, you work in an environment. People talk all the time. You know, your, your work environment is full of gossip. Mine is. I mean, I've never seen a bunch of cops that act like a bunch of, you know, weaklings. I mean, it's amazing to me. I mean, they gossip. They talk about stuff. All, it's like, I can't handle it. And most of the stuff they say, it's not based in fact. They just, they heard somebody else say it, and they repeat it. They heard somebody else say it, they repeat it. And here's what happened. People, names get slandered, uh, you know, and you shouldn't repeat anything that you can't verify yourself. Right? Because we want to, we're, we're, we're not that way. We're not going to get into that. So we want to stick to the facts. Number six, we want to handle conflicts in a, in sin biblically. If we want to have healthy relationships, we want to handle conflicts and sin biblically. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to read a couple of verses here. <clears throat> Verse number 15. I guess they must have it on the screen because I don't hear no pages turning. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. You guys are cheating. It says in verse 15, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him, what? 
alone. And if he hears you, you've gained your brother. Because what is the objective? We want to gain our brother. We want to get on the same footing. We want to get on good footing. He said, but if he would not hear you, take with you. Jesus is speaking here primarily about the church, but this is really a principle that we should carry with us wherever we go. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word, uh, every word may be established. So he makes a clear point there. So how many know the offenses will come? People will get offended, I promise you. Keep living. I don't know a person on the, on the planet that have never been offended. How many of you husbands have ever offended your wives? How many of you wives have ever offended your husbands? The ladies will tell it too because they're really walking with God. Your husbands ought to stop. You ought to just stop it. Offenses will come. But you know, the Bible says the way that you will handle offenses is a person that sins against you, a person that harms you, here's what you do. The Bible says go and talk to that person alone. Look, not go and jump on the phone and tell Susie, John, Rick, and everybody else, no, 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 this is an issue, I'm offended. And maybe the other person may not even have a clue that you're offended. But he said, but for you, here's what you do. When someone sins against you, you go to that person. Something you don't like, can we go, can we talk? And we'll try to work it out. Now, what if someone is caught in a trespass? Galatians 6.1 says this, and this is relational. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, which means you who are mature, restore such a one in a spirit of what? Gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So let's say that somebody is caught in a sin that directly or indirectly affects you. He said the way that we're to do it is we're to seek restoration. Amen? We're to seek to restore. We're not to seek to try to do anything else other than restore. This is the attitude of the Christian. This is the mindset that Christ wants us to have. He goes a step further. You know, I love Jesus because he always pushes the envelope. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 24, he says this. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, how many of you like to pray? And you there while you're praying, remember that your brother has something against you or your sister. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. But let's just say that there's an offense that happened, but maybe you didn't do it. But you know that there is something that is there. Here's what the Bible says. Get off our knees, go be reconciled to our brother, then come back and pray, God will hear. Isn't that amazing? Because what God is saying is that God takes re reconciliation very, very seriously. You all know that that's the pillar of our faith. And if we're not right with one another, we can say what we want to say, but we ain't right with God. We're not right with God. Why? Because we're tied together. Destiny has brought us together. He says, if you don't, he said, if you don't love your brother who you see every day, you cannot say you love me. So I'm obligated to work it out with you, whether I like it or I don't. Whether you like me or you don't, you got to work it out with me. And I, I'll make it easy for you. Amen. Amen. Number seven. Which number are we? Number seven? We're going to have healthy relationships. We've got to forgive one another. Everybody say forgive. forgive. Ephesians 4, verses 32 says, and be kind to one another. Be kind. 
Be kind to one another. Be kind. Kindness is a Christian virtue. Tenderhearted. Everybody say tenderhearted. Tenderhearted. Mm. Forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. Just as God in Christ forgave you. So how are we to give? How, do you, how, how are we to forgive? Do we forgive based upon whether or not that person do the right thing? Mm-mm. Can I say something? Can I say something to you? That there'll be a lot of times, and hopefully it's not as much as in the church, but there'll be a lot of times when the other person won't respond the way you want them to respond. Can we be honest about that? But he says that we are to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. So here's the thing. My standard for forgiving is based upon what God and how he has forgiven me. And I don't know about you, but he's forgiven me of a whole lot of stuff. And listen to me, people. Listen to me very well. I know it's a hard pill to swallow. But we have no right, no right to walk in a spirit of unforgiveness as a child of God. You got to figure out a way to make right what's been made wrong. We must, listen to me, and you do it for you, number one. Because freedom is your inheritance. Why would you be locked down and be in bars over a spirit of unforgiveness? When I say that I forgive you, I forgive you. I have to forgive you. I'm called to forgive you because Mark eleven twenty six 26 says that if I don't forgive you others of their sins, God will not forgive me. And you are important, but you're not that important to me. I have to release it. I have to release it. You have to, you must come to a place in your life where you look at unforgiveness like a plague. Because in essence, that's what it is. It destroys you. It ruins your capacity and your ability to even see and think rationally because you're being controlled by emotions. So we must be a people that forgive. And the reason why the Apostle Paul said that to the Ephesian church and he's speaking to us today is very simple. Because he knew that there would be times when we would need to forgive each other one way or the other. We're going to have to forgive. We don't even have the option not to forgive others for their trespasses against us. We must walk and act like those who are part of the kingdom of God. How many know kingdom people don't hold grudges? Kingdom people, they walk in freedom. Kingdom people are experts at forgiving. Do you ever consider yourself an expert? When the world want to know what forgiveness looks like, they ought to be able to come to the church. <laughs> when the world wants to know how we relate, people ought to be able to come to the church and say, boy, those people know how to love and they know how to forgive one another. How many know that if we don't do that, we're a poor witness and we lose power and all we are is another organization? You know, the power of the gospel is in forgiving because God forgave us for so much. And if you have a problem forgiving, just keep thinking about yourself, really, and realize how many times you have to go to God on a regular basis. I have to go to God every day for just a thought in my mind. How many of you had a thought that's offended you? I've had thoughts in my mind that's offended me, that I want to punch myself in the head. How many know what I'm talking about? 
Where did that come from? Woo. Amen. We're depraved. So we got to let it go. I don't know what else to tell you. I can, I can, try to, I can give you deeper theology. I can try to rationalize. I can try to, I can try to put it in a nice box and you can receive it better. But at the end of the day, it's going to say the same thing. You have to forgive him. Forgive her. Forgive them. You must. Because this is a, a, a pillar of your foundation. Everything that the Christian faith stands on is on forgiving and restoration. And if we can't do that right, I mean, no, that's why for the church, if church people can't forgive each other, oh, my goodness. We have no shot on reaching the world. We can forget it. If we can't walk in this, forget it. We're kidding ourselves. God is not going to bless no mess. Come on. Amen. He just doesn't. God, God is a, let me tell you something. Here's what I learned about God. This is for free. Wasn't planning on saying this. This is for free. When God gives us a directive, he gives it to you once. He never changes. When God speaks to you, whether through his word or by his spirit, he tells you what to do. You can rest around and say, well, God, let me think about that all you want to. But he is not going to move until you do what he says do. There ain't going to be no movement. We can go through the hoopla. We can go through all the stuff. But if God say do this and we don't do it, he's not going to be he's not going to knock you over. God speaks. and He's never going to. He's God. Right. So he don't have to try to negotiate with us. God, he don't negotiate. I know you got realtors and folks you negotiate with, but God don't do that. You can't negotiate with the owner of everything. Who's the one who, I mean, what are we going to give him, really? He owns everything. He don't negotiate. So when God speaks, ain't but one thing to do. I got to do it. I don't want to. I know, I know, I know, I know. I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to. I don't, but do it. Because in the end, it's going to work in your favor. Amen. And I promise you, God will honor his word. I've come to realize that in my life. Number eight, we only got nine. We're almost done. If we're going to have healthy relationships, we got to pray for each other. James 5, 16. Confess your trespasses to one another. And pray for one another. Pray for one another. Pray for, for, not against, for, for, for. The prayer that God hears is for. The prayer God hears about your enemies are for. Love your enemies. That's a crazy message, isn't it? For. Pray for one another that you may be healed. That who may be healed? You. So our healing comes from a place whereby we're lifting each other up. How many know that we can never go wrong by letting God in the midst of our relationships? How many know that every time we pray, we invite the Holy Spirit to come in and fix what is broken? How many know that we can't, a lot of times we can't fix what's broken? I've seen God do some things in my own life. I mean, I can give you countless testimonies when relationships weren't right and I just prayed. And God just made it right. I don't know. Sometimes it's like a miracle to me. But God just does stuff and he fixed stuff. And all I, all I know is I just had the right spirit. I just prayed. I prayed for the boss that talked about my wife in front of the roll call. He said a degrading thing, so degrading that everybody in the roll call started to get up and leave because of what he said about my wife. And everybody was sure that I was going to go and I was going to bust the door down and tell my supervisor and tell the one who was really in charge. You know, you got the folks who are in charge, but then you got the ones who are like really, really in charge, who really have the power. I was going to the ones who were really, really, really in charge because, and I had a good case. 
I had a good case, but here's what God told me to do. And I wasn't even in the faith no more than maybe four years. The Holy Spirit told me, pray for him. I went home, Carter Lake Apartments in Reston, off of North Shore Drive, Beacon Tree Lanes, where we used to live. And I got on my face, came, he degraded me that night. I came home and cried like a baby, pray, pray. I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. I said, God, I first told God how mad I was. Come on, you know, God can handle your craziness. Amen. He can handle it. But I knew at some point I had to, I had to come into confusion. I had to let that out. So I let, it out, I let it out in his presence. And then I said, oh God, but give me a heart to love him. Lord, fix him, save him. Ah, it wasn't in, I don't know, six, seven months later. Dive, I'm sorry, you must have heard this story a hundred times. But he came to me and called me and said, hey, I just want to let you know that I gave my life to Jesus. He got saved. The same guy that degraded me. But I could have took the other road. I could have went and exposed him. But I'm a kingdom person. I'm like Teflon. You can't like MC Hammer. You can't, you know. Okay, sorry. What I'm saying is that we got to be like Teflon in the spirit. That we can't let stuff penetrate us. Well, how many know you got to be thick-skinned if you want to be a true anointed person? How many of you want the anointing of God? you got to have some thick skin to walk in the anointing. You can't get offended just because somebody offended you. you got to learn how to pray for people even that do you wrong. you got to pray for them. you got to pray because that facilitates the anointing of God. And the power of God. Pray for the people that hurt you. Pray for them. And watch what God will do. Is it no wonder sometimes why we, the anointing or the grace and the favor of God eludes us sometimes? Because we don't walk the way he wants us to walk. Jesus was wounded, but how many know he was anointed? He was beaten, but how many know he was anointed? He was lied on. How many know he was anointed? The Bible said he was like a lamb to the slaughter. He didn't even open his mouth. He walked up there and let him do all that stuff to him. And then the Bible said, now God has highly exalted him. God looked at Jesus and said, that's my boy. And he can look at you. If you do it right, he'll look at you and say, that's my son. That's my daughter. They're not like everybody else because everybody else will act naturally. You're not a natural person. You're a spiritual person. Come out of that. Come out. Everybody look at the neighbor and say, come out. Come out. Come out of the flesh. Come out of the flesh. And come into the spirit of God. Walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we're going to have healthy relationships, we got to pray for one another. And then lastly, here's a big one. Here's a big one. Here it is right here. I'm going to drop this on you. This is going to be a revelation for most of you. Never seek revenge. <sighs> Boy, that's, you mean tell me I can't. I know it goes against some of your military training. Maybe not. I know for most of us that goes against our natural training. Because our natural training says, I'm going to get you back. I'm going to let you know that you hurt me. In fact, 
I need to let everybody else know, so I'm going to take matters into my own hand. Here's the problem if you take matters into your own hands. You listening? Then you got to handle it with your own hands. I don't know about you, but I'd rather have God fighting my battles. <laughs> because God can, God can, God can, God's a much better fighter than I could ever be. Most of the time when we try to handle it, we end up doing what? Messing it up. You know that your, your strongest defense is on your knees calling out to God. That's your weapon right there. Amen. Romans 12, 19 says this. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place for wrath. For it is written, watch this, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says Lord. And if God says he's going to repay, I'm cool. Because how many know your enemy ain't got away with nothing? <laughs> the person that wronged you, they think they got away. You ever seen, uh, yeah, you ever seen a crook rob the bank and they driving down the road and they think they got away and they're celebrating all of a sudden he come to light, steep, whoop, whoop. Oh, here come the knock at the door. I thought I could, no, you ain't, how many know that God sees all and knows all? Amen. He sees all and So watch this. So, so if somebody wronged you, you must know, if somebody been lied, lied on you, slandered you, put your information out there, you must know that God got your back. So I don't need to fight. Now, the minute I start to try to fight on my own, here's what I said to God. God, I don't trust you. I said, hold on, God. I'll come, back. I'll come back and pray afterwards, but let me go and get me some. Let me handle this. This is what we do. God, hold on. Let me, God, God I, know you're, I know you said don't do this, but I done lost it. I got to Okay, you can do that. Go handle yourself. I wish you well. But when God handles stuff, he does it in a way, watch this, that is not only healthy and good in the end, but there's a redemptive quality to it. Because God is always about redemption and restoration. And as, as, if his kids can get that, we would do much better. I don't have to fight nobody back. You, you, you can't do anything to me, really. You, you can't. You, you must have, nobody can do, Jesus said this. Now, I hear the spirit of this. I'm not saying this. Now, I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. Jesus said, nobody can take my life. I lay it down. You remember he said that? He said, you can't take my life. I lay it down. It's embedded in that statement is the principle that Jesus was teaching. That, yeah, I know what you're doing to me is wrong. I haven't, like, I didn't, like, fall off the, off the turnip truck. I didn't, I didn't, like, miss it. I know what you did, but I choose to bless you. I choose to love you. I choose to walk in the anointing of God, in the favor of God. I'm going to make a choice, and you're going to think that you got away with it, but you didn't get away with it because God saw it. I know it, but the way I'm going to walk, I'm all good. Choose to love. Choose to forgive. Lay down your life. That's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, did you... Present your bodies a living sacrifice. You know that's what it means? That every day you get up on the altar. And sometimes it's going to be because you're upset because you're thinking, man, ain't no justice in this. How many know that Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you're going to get filled. God's going to take care of it. Let's trust him, amen? Are we trusting him today? Every head is bowed, every eye is closed.